Louis to come and share his testimony today because it fits in very well with with uh, our our sermon series in Acts because Louis experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. So come on up, Louis. Uh, which side do you want to stand? <laughs> Just so long as you can face this. That's all right, yeah. Thanks. So, Louis, tell us what happened a few months ago in Southport as you were about to cross the road. It was not a few months ago. It was 12 months ago. Okay, 12 months ago. Uh, yeah. Um, the usual afternoon, I finished my gym session and I went to have lunch on the way back I was going to cross Carbra Street at pedestrian crossing, which was very busy. A lot of people walking in both directions. Uh, as soon as I stepped on the street to cross, I made maybe a few steps. I just heard immediately a voice in my mind, very steady, saying, your heart is going to stop now and you're going to die. I freaked out. I thought, I know it's not coming from anybody outside. It's inside. And automatically I started talking back to God, saying, oh, no, God, please. It's not my time. And I keep walking, you know. It's not my time, and I have grandchildren to see them grow up, um, uh, see my, uh, get married or see my grand-grandchildren and and at that time, I am approaching to the other side of the street. Uh, and I'm thinking, oh, also, my small dog, Bella, is home alone, waiting for me, you know. <laughs> I'm thinking, what was all of this bullshit? I, and I must be going crazy, you know. What I didn't know is that I was already dead, lying on the middle of the street. As I heard the voice, immediately as I heard that, I... I felt face down. My heart stopped and I wasn't breathing. I had no idea. I kept walking. I even remember faces that I, I, they were crossing the road that I was passing. Uh, I was, I can recall this Asian woman of our forties uh, pointing with her hand and yelling something in Chinese, I believe. I couldn't understand. Be pointing behind me. So I'm going that way. She is going this way. She's pointing behind me. What the hell? Probably yelling to some of her friends. And, no, no, she was probably yelling, pointing to me that I fell there. But doesn't matter. I don't know what happened. But this is what I could see. This is what I could remember. This is not documented, you know. And uh, uh, all that is documented is, uh, uh, as Graham knows, Pastor Graham read the medical reports. I had no heartbeat for more than one hour and according to the medical science it's impossible to survive anything like that. I immediately when uh, the heart stopped the breathing stopped and everything else stopped in the body. So you you experience this sort of out of body almost like you're... Well uh, there's no other explanation yeah. but I can remember everything. So know? what happened after that? What What did you experience after that? After that, I, did, I do not know anything. I cannot recall any memories from besides getting to this other side of the street and 
The only memories I have after that is when I was in coma. I was like eight, uh, seven days in coma, and I came out on the eighth day. It was the 13th of June, and uh, it was Sunday. Uh, I came out of coma on the eighth day, but I can recall a lot of things happening while I was in coma. Mm -hmm. uh, I was constantly <clears throat> in darkness over there. I could see nothing, but I could hear enemies trying to harm me, roaring and uh, chasing me. I was trying to escape, running away, uh, pushing. Uh, I could not see anybody. It was total darkness. For how long, I can't tell. Uh, obviously, now I know it was for seven days. And that darkness, the full darkness, turned suddenly into semi-darkness. So I could see some shapes. I could see my enemies for the first time. And that's nothing like we have here on Earth. That was unbelievable. And uh, they were like very getting very close to me. Um, look very scary. They are roaring, and I thought that's it. I cannot run away anymore. I can't escape. It's all over. And suddenly I hear the same voice saying, it's not over until I say it's over. I had no idea what it meant, but suddenly I saw something amazing happening. That semi-darkness, on the right-hand side I can see a little bit higher, there is a pinhole where the light started coming in. And I could see that a ray of light coming in towards me slowly, becoming wider and wider and wider and bigger. It was an amazing view. After all that darkness to see the light, as, as light reached me, all these enemies disappeared and I just flew out. I just somehow flew out with the light. I don't remember anything else. It's, uh, it sounds silly uh, and and stupid, but that's exactly what happened. This is exactly what I remember. Uh, as I said, everything else is documented, and Graham checked the medical history uh, himself, and he knows that this unbelievable. It takes uh, so, more than science and knowledge for this to happen. And also, uh, sorry, uh, what actually happened there a few days later when I was in coma, the doctors, the medical experts, a lot of them, they were probably more than a dozen trying to deal with me and help me in the room. My family was there, and when they did everything they could, they, one particular doctor came to my family with tears in his eyes saying, oh, we are very sorry to tell you that <coughs> you should prepare for the worst. Uh, he had... He had uh, unresponsive heart for 66 minutes, and uh, it's unlikely to survive something like that. We tried everything. So um, percentage-wise, a lot less than 5% chance to survive. Uh, I mean, no chance. Uh, and he was serious, uh, and my family started to prepare for the worst. I, you don't want me to tell you what what they did, but it's really drastic. Like I was completely gone. They, they started doing things. Mm -hmm. you know? 
So what do you think what do you think God was was doing why do you think God was was working in this way what do you think he well, was I'll answer that question after I say something else first yeah to connect that because because of what happened to me and 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 there was another possibility I mean after they were telling that my family a few days later they were discussing sweet, turning off my life full life support to turn it off and I They've told them, like, oh, look, uh, we know that he would like God to decide whether he lives or dies. So we cannot give you such permission. We don't give you permission to switch the life support off. So they gave up. And they said, look, there were some further discussions a few days later. If he somehow survives, if he comes back, he's going to be like a vegetable He's going to have no memory at all, 100% brain damage. He is going to be in the hospital for a very long time. You know what happened? My body healed very well, very quickly. I cannot understand that. All my ribs were broken. My chest bones were broken, the sternal, and they were opened. Yes. Everything was damaged. My right lung was punctured with some of the broken ribs filled up with blood and collapsed completely. All my organs were shutting down and that's why it was discussion for a second time to switch me off. But as they say, ha, this is what's gonna happen. All this, believe it or not, healed very quickly and I was still healing, but in three, three weeks later, less than three weeks later, I just walked out of the hospital. I was not lying down, I had full memory and this is the answer to your question, Malcolm. I, I, I think that uh, I have full memory to remember everything what happened is because when I called, um, God answered me and he chose to bless me by bringing me back to life to use me as an example of his goodness. This is what it is. I, I have no recollection of anything else, but I remember everything as it is. And I, I didn't do anything about that. I was lifeless and I was hopeless. And, and none of the doctors believed that I'm going to make it. So God definitely still does miracles today. Of course, he's yeah. still healing. He's, uh, sometimes he's using other people, like medical profession, professionals yeah. to help people. And, uh, and sometimes he just reaches down and saves people himself. That's correct. Yeah. Obviously. I don't know what happened, but this is what I heard. This is what I've seen. And it's all documented. And it's maybe one in a billion cases. Who knows? I don't know what happens yeah. and how it is possible. But uh, I did nothing to contribute to that because I was not in control. Mm. I was gone. I, I did, when I woke up, I did learn to walk again in the hospital. At, at first I couldn't even speak. But look, things happen for but a reason sometimes. And, and I say, yeah, I, thank, I thank you, Lord, with my whole heart. Uh, Let's pray. Let's pray, Louis. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the miracle that you worked in Louis' life and we thank you for his uh, enthusiasm to share that, that sign, that sign that's shown him 
uh, your reality and that's transformed his heart. And uh, we pray that you would equip him and enable him to to be able to share this and, and to use it um, uh, to be used by you to to, sh- to transform other people's hearts as well with this story of your miraculous power and your love in this present day. And we thank you, Lord, so much for that. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Louis. I'll grab that. Thank you. Thanks. When Louis was telling that story to me the first time, it just reminded me of the line in John 1 about Jesus. In him was life, and he was the light of all men. And the light overcomes the darkness, and the darkness can't understand it. And and I just thought of that when he was talking about this pinhole of light that grew. And look, you know me, I'm a sceptical person. I believe that was a miracle. Um, There was a very large-scale study a few years ago that looked at out-of-hospital cardiac arrests. And 2% of people that had an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest in Canada and the US uh, made it out of hospital alive. So they got to hospital and lived through their arrest to come out of hospital alive. And of those 2%, all of them ended up with severe brain damage in a nursing home. And uh, so there, there are stories where people come out of a cardiac arrest like this out of hospital and live, but it's very rare. And for 60 minutes without a heartbeat is remarkable. Just uh, to let you know, if I was doing CPR on someone, I would stop after 15 minutes and say, it's not working, let's give up. So you were lucky someone kept going that day. <laughs> Yeah, it was God behind the scene in action. Hey. And uh, before, it's in Acts 3, but before we come to that, I want to just ask a question in the next slide. What sort of things do you worry about in life? Who's got some worries? What's on their mind? What are they anxious about? Yes, Yolanda. Will we find a new house or rental? (laughs) Right. (laughs) A roof over our head, that's always a big worry. What other worries do people have? doesn't have to be a worry you've got right now. It can be the sort of worry that is generic or it can be specific. Worry about other people. Absolutely. You worry about kids, friends, family members. Okay. And then sometimes we worry about actually bigger picture spiritual issues. Yep. Any other worries? Money worries. Yep. Definitely. Food shortages. I know. Inflation. No lettuce tonight. I saw a news article earlier today on on how inflation's impacting people in America and one woman was saying she goes from supermarket to supermarket until she finds enough to be able to afford food for the day. Will you see your grandchildren? Right, so relationship issues. It's a good one there, Stevie. Um, Next slide, Matthew. So... 
What do you need to take away those anxieties? What sort of things would take away your anxiety for finances and house, Shalanda? What sort of things? What do you need to take away your anxieties? Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> that was bad timing, wasn't it? What do you need to take away those anxieties? An option? A house, right. What sort of things in life do we need to take away our anxieties and our worries? Oh, interesting. Perspective, trust. Well, let's move to the next uh, slide, Matthew. So often we want to overcome our, we, our fears and our anxieties by pursuing things that we think will make life more stable. We, we go after money. We go after cars, after a house. And, and that's what we, we think. If we work hard and, and get all these things, we won't have to worry. By the way, every single image you see on the screen tonight is a computer-generated image using AI that I, I generated yesterday with, with this new software called DALI2. And you just type in, man, digital art of man grabbing money bag with a car and a house in the collar picture. And this is what it came up with. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? But these are the sort of things we, we, we focus on to try to overcome our fears. We think if we've got money, we can buy the house. We've got a roof over our head. We don't have to worry. And, and next slide, uh, Matthew. This is sort of what a healthy person thinks about. We, we base our life on pursuing stuff, getting a good job, so that we don't have to worry. We can buy the insurance we need. We can have the car so we can get to our job, get around that we need. We have the house to keep the rain off. We work hard so we can have the money we need in case of a rainy day. And our, our life is all about these things. And we have this little bit of time for family, perhaps, and spirituality. Of course, our perspective does change, as Nicole said, uh, that's when we're healthy. But often, you know, we, we can run into problems in life and get ill. And so that's the next slide, Matthew. Imagine that you've become ill. That's going to change your anxieties, isn't it? Rather than worrying about a house and stuff when you're ill, you're probably going to have a very different view on, on what you need to get rid of your anxieties. And realistically, you're probably going to worry about your health. How can I get better? I need to get better. And all of our time and thought processes go into, if I just get well again, I won't have any anxieties, I won't have to worry. Of course, the day comes when we get sick and we're not getting better. And the next slide. And you realise you're dying. How is that going to change your anxieties? How is that going to change your worries? Your world then is going to change, isn't it? And you're going to realise what's important is your family, what's important is my family. Because the kids I leave behind, that's my legacy. That's how I leave something in, in this world. And for any sort of future, after I die, I need to get things right with my spirit, with God. That's, that's suddenly what my world would become like if I was dying. And so I just wanted to raise these thoughts before we read the Bible passage, because they're related to it. So let's get into it then. So we're coming up to Acts 3, um, which of course is the third chapter of the book of Acts, written by Luke about the early church. And we're, we're doing a series on Acts at the moment. And uh, you'll remember we've had two sermons on Acts already, but not in succession, or even not in chronological order. Next slide. We started with Acts 2, because we talked about Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. Uh, and that was the, the story where the Holy Spirit came to the waiting apostles 
and they had boldness given to them and power so they could speak about God. So that was really the beginning of the church. And then a couple of weeks ago we looked at Acts 1, which was before Acts, before Pentecost, and that was the story of Jesus after he was resurrected going into heaven with his last words to his disciples on earth. And his last words were, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So we've looked at those two passages, Jesus saying what the mission of his apostles were, and then the Holy Spirit coming and really inaugurating, beginning the church. And that leads into Acts 3, the very next chapter. So Acts 3 starts, Peter and John went into the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man came a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the Beautiful Gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. So the story begins in the temple in Jerusalem at a gate, which was called the Beautiful Gate. Now, don't know what gate that was in the temple, but it was probably a really, really large gate, much bigger than that generated image. And it was known as the Beautiful Gate because it was probably covered in gold and very ornate. And hundreds of people would probably stream in and out every day going to the prayer services. It comes from the, the name comes from a Greek word, horaios which means beautiful. As I looked up that word in the dictionary, I discovered it also has another meaning. It actually means happening at the right time, which I think is just a really interesting um, little tidbit there. So um, Luke, in this chapter, makes a big point of calling this gate the beautiful gate, and he mentions twice that it's called the beautiful gate. But maybe he wanted to make that point Beautiful, not because it's actually physically beautiful, because something was about to happen at the right time. That man was there at the right time. Peter and John were there at the right time. There was this was God's timing. So maybe that's why he makes the point about beautiful, and also he makes a big point of saying it was at the gate. I don't know why he makes that point. Maybe it's just to, to put some context there, but it did make me think about gate. And what it comes across in the Bible, the the meaning gate, and other times in the Bible where gate is mentioned. If you think of gate in the Bible, what do you think of? I am the gate. So the next slide. Jesus said this, didn't he? He explained to his, his, uh, his audience one day, I tell you the truth, I am the gate. So I wonder whether there's just these little connections here, these poetic connections that are being put in this story to make us think about these issues. This man was there at the right time at the gate. Jesus is the gate. He was there to meet Jesus. So the story continues. The man calls out, asking for money, and Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter said, look at us. The man, the lame man, looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, sorry, I don't have any gold or silver to give you. But I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. 
So then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. As he did this, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. So I imagine um, this poor beggar there calling out to Peter and John, expecting a lump sum of money, expecting some gold, some treasure, something to help him through his day, to buy him food that day. What a disappointment it would have been. I don't have any silver or gold for you. It would have been a big, big disappointment. But Peter and John had something much greater to share. They didn't have wealth, they had something a lot greater. And so Peter said, I don't have this for you, the silver or gold, but I do have something in the name of Jesus Christ, to get up and walk. I can imagine the man wanted money and gold. He'd given given up with the idea that he'd ever walk. So to hear those words, get up and walk, and then to realise he could do it, that's a much greater gift to receive, isn't it? A much, much greater gift. Next slide, Matthew. It made me think of a few stories. Um, Do you remember Christopher Reeves? Remember the original Superman? One day he was on his horse and the horse was jumping over a gate or a fence or something and he slipped off and uh, he broke his neck. And he was a quadriplegic after that. He lost all power in his arms and legs. And he spent the next 10, 10, 15 years of his life until he died hoping for some sort of scientific breakthrough that would allow him to walk again. His whole life changed on that day and all he wanted to do was walk after that. I remembered about, uh, I didn't know this boy, but he was a friend of mine, a friend of a friend of mine at university. And everyone at uni heard his story. He'd finished year 12 and at a party preparing for university, he dived into the shallow end of a pool. I'm sure Nicole remembers the story hearing it. And he hit the bottom, broke his neck. I often wonder what his life must be like now. I don't know if no, he's alive or not. But. Once those nerves are severed, a person never walks again. Um, A man born without the ability to walk, born with cerebral palsy, he's never going to walk. There's no nerve connection to the legs. The muscles are never going to develop. They're just going to shrivel away. And so to regain power in the legs, that's an amazing blessing. To be able to have that, something he thought he would never have, to be able to get up and walk. What a blessing God gave him that day. But what an incredible miracle. That's an impossibility. It can't happen physically. What a miracle that man received. So the story continues. Oh, no, it doesn't. The slides continue. When we're sick, of course we want health. And when all fails, we want a miracle. I remember my my dad about 25 years ago got kidney failure and I remember him going to hospital, having the biopsy and finding out what was going on and this worry that he was going to end up on dialysis or need a kidney transplant and 
for months we went from I remember going from church service to church service and praying for a miracle for him um, now we never saw a miracle where he'd get up and walk but obviously a miracle happened because today he he still has kidneys that work or actually he's not had a blood test for his kidneys for about 20 years he said I get too nervous when I have the blood test so I don't want to know if I'm going to need dialysis and that was 20 years ago um, but, but we all hope for a miracle. When we're sick, it's only natural to want a miracle and to be better. And a truly remarkable miracle did occur that day, one that that man had probably given up hoping for. But it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me straight away when I think about it. There must have been hundreds of disabled and sick people in Jerusalem that Peter knew about. He must have walked past many sick people every day. So why heal this man? What was the point of that? And take it another step. There are millions, billions of sick people around the earth. Many people dying. Why would God heal a few people, but most people he doesn't heal? It, it uh, I guess, raises that, that question. It's theologically called theodicy, which is a theology of why does evil and suffering occur? But look from the other perspective, why would God stop suffering at some stages? Why would he heal some people but not others? So I asked the youth group kids that last night, and actually they came up with some amazing answers that, that I'd never even thought of. They were really good. So let's uh, open that one up for discussion. Why does God heal just a few people? But most people, he leaves them ill. What do you reckon? Thoughts? Uh, go back, Matthew. Yep. The ones you heal, I, uh, heal, I think, would have faith in Christ. Okay, there's definitely a connection between faith and healing, isn't there? Yep. Healing the illness or sickness or dying and then being in eternity with him <laughs> you know like there is grace in in death okay yes yep it's a good thought um i think it's really important to acknowledge that like lazarus still died so even though he was brought back from the dead he still died mm-hmm. so when god does his miracles they're not to change our situation permanently they're to teach us something or to demonstrate his goodness, um, as Louis was saying. And, um, like, and I think that's why he only does it sometimes, because he's not trying to create a permanent situation of deliverance physically. He's trying to show us about him so then we can be delivered spiritually. Yeah, thank you. Any other thoughts? So I'm going around with the, the microphone so that anyone online can hear. Um, I think... God has mercy on some people as well. I know some cases where some people have actually died and then they've seen God and they're on their way to hell. And then something intervenes and it's God's mercy on their life. Yep, so sometimes he, he does have mercy for a particular reason. We don't really know why, but yeah. Maybe he has a purpose for these people. Maybe he has a purpose for the people that he saves. So maybe there's a specific purpose he wants for that person he heals. Yeah. A witness to others from Shalanda, yep. All right, let's move to the next slide. So there's there's probably not one straightforward answer. 
but, but I'm going to share one thought. So why does God heal some people but not most people? Well, maybe there's actually something more important than physical healing. Now, it's hard for us to think that as our frail human bodies get sick. Of course we want healing, but maybe there is actually something more important than physical healing. And, and actually, maybe, maybe Peter meant something more than meets the eye when he said, I don't have silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Maybe he actually meant something more than he just has the ability to give this man uh, the ability to walk again. Maybe the focus isn't on him walking. So maybe we actually need to think about healing more like a dying person would rather than a healthy or a sick person. So... Remember, when we're healthy, we think about having stuff to protect us. When we're sick, we think about getting better so that we can live our life again. But actually, we're, we're all dying, and we're all going to die. And what we need, as much as we want it, isn't actually physical healing in the here and now. It's a permanent spiritual healing. We need to be able to rely on God's mercy to meet him in eternal life. Let's move on, Matthew. So, yeah, the question is, why does a dying per- what, what does a dying person need to take away anxiety and secure a future? Well, a dying person needs... On the next slide. Nope, there is no next slide. A dying person needs security in knowing that God is there to give us eternal life, that we have forgiveness and mercy through God. So, what happened after this man got healed and the people were amazed? Well, Peter saw his opportunity. They're the words. He saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what's so surprising about this and why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it's the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead and we're witnesses to this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your own eyes. Friends, I realise that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance, but God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Listen carefully to everything he says. Then Moses said, Anyone who will not listen to the prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. 
Starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what's happening today. You are the children of those prophets and you're included in the covenant God, the covenant God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all families on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him first to you people, the people of Israel, to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. So a dying person needs God's mercy for a future. Living water, the vine that gives life. We need Jesus. And Peter knew this. He also knew that one day we're all going to die. And so Peter, next slide. So Peter sort of shows us the answer to the question of why God heals through what he did next. God heals, I think, at least the Bible says so in a few places, he heals so that people find him. Jesus said this in John 5. Afterwards, Jesus found the man who he just healed in the temple and told him, now you're well, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And at the very end of John, John actually writes why he wrote down about the miracles of Jesus. He wrote, These miracles of Jesus are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So I think a really big part of healing, God heals to point people to Jesus so that people put trust in Jesus, so they put faith in Jesus, so they turn and they repent and they find eternal life in him. That's why God heals in the, in the Bible. It says it time and time again. And so perhaps that's why he heals today. Peter knew this. He knew that's why God heals. And so he actually used this healing as his opportunity to share the gospel. It says those words. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. And then he addressed them and told them the gospel message. He told them that through faith in the name of Jesus, you can be healed and that you need to repent of your sins. Yep, you can go on, Matthew, that's good. So this, cha- this passage, I think, raises a few challenges, a few thoughts. And the first challenge from this passage, for me at least, is when we see God's power in action, and we will see it during our lives, we've got to recognise recognize it, recognise that God's power is there and trusting God all the more when we see his power. Hebrews 3 says this, that's why the Holy Spirit says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. When you see God acting in, in the world, when you see him doing something powerful, doing a miracle, don't harden your hearts. Revelation 3.20 says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. So there'll be times when Jesus does something powerful and you're meant to respond. Trust in him more. Share a meal with him. Second thing to do is when you see God's power, when we see God's power in action, use the opportunity to share the gospel. God's doing it for a reason. He wants his name to go out to the world. And you're the vessel who can share the gospel. 
Seeing a miracle on its own doesn't bring people to God. It's when they hear the gospel at the same time that they know God's, God's there. So in Isaiah 52, we're reminded how beautiful it is when we share good news. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. And then in 2 Timothy, this is a good verse to finish on. This is what Timothy says. He says, or Paul says to Timothy, Preach the word of God and be prepared whether the time's favourable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke and encourage people with good teaching. But just, I guess, be prepared, be ready to preach whenever that time is. We're going to see God in action in our lives. And when you see, in act, see him in action, see him do something amazing, share the, share the good news with others who see it. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the story of Louis today. Thank you that you've used this to help him shore up his faith in you. Thank you that we can be certain of your reality and your forgiveness through the miracles we've seen you do in our lives. Help us to to trust you more and to always be ready to share your good news. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.